Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your host Sam Foote and Anne Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode 21 of season four. Al and I had a recent discussion around Azure App Service, a managed platform from Microsoft within Azure to host your HTTP based applications. Here are a few things that we covered. Modern approaches to application hosting, the features and benefits of Azure App Service, how to deploy and manage applications on App Service, and how scaling, performance, and billing is handled. We've noticed that a large number of you aren't subscribed. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot for us for you to show your support to the show. It's a really great episode, so let's dive in. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. T minus 10 days till Ignite, is that right? Something like that, yeah. Around that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, week on, week on Monday I fly out, so. So, yeah, it's going to be good. Seems like there's a lot of buzz for Ignite this year. Don't know. Just feels like there's going to be, Is it? do you think it's going to be bigger than last year? What's your sort of vibe at the moment? Uh, from what I've seen, um, as part of being going there, as part of you know, part being part of the staffing for the MVP side of things, um, yeah, it's definitely some bigger spaces for collaboration, things like that, um, and well, the fact that it's sold out within a couple of weeks of it going as well. Yeah, I don't think I think last year it it wasn't um, it didn't sell out till late close to the end i don't think it maybe it didn't even sell out i can't remember but um but yeah stephanie seems bigger um from what i'm seeing and, yeah all the um the schedules are up now as well for all the sessions all right worth checking out yeah definitely yeah no 100 percent. Uh, is there a lot of ai related sessions is it is there yep. a big heavy focus on that or do you think there's a good distribution of you know other product you know bits and bobs anyway you don't feel like they're missing out on any other like product lines, you know, if that makes sense. What do you think? It, no, it's definitely a lot of, yeah, it's definitely a lot of, um, from what I've skimmed through it all. Um, there's definitely a lot of AI based, um, sessions, um, with, you know, with all the new co-pilots coming out and their interactions and things like that, as well as, um, not necessarily the co-pilots, but, you know, actual machine learning within Azure, you know, Azure AI and things like that. It's definitely, you know, definitely on the, the the heavier side of things um but yeah it's definitely all the other um services and functionalities definitely all got their own spots as well nice yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be really exciting and it's great that um yeah you get to go out there and um meet up with more of the microsoft community it's always always a good buzz at those types of events yeah definitely it's um yeah looking forward to it i don't think it's going to be a quiet quiet uh week for <laughs> no. me it's definitely, no, definitely a lot of things <laughs> things i'm doing so yeah um so yeah sam what's this week's episode on yeah so i'm going to be talking around um azure app service um it's it's something that i've worked with um quite extensively uh really not so much over the past uh few months i'd say um but, but essentially it's you know, it, it's it's a service within Azure to host uh, sort of um, mainly, well, actually, probably exclusively web applications. Um, it's it's been around since a day dot, as far as I can remember. 
um and, and there's some really great features and benefits so i thought we'd you know it, it's a big i would say it's a big service in azure and it, it definitely warrants its own uh, episode that's for sure yeah i think we've definitely talked about it a couple of times maybe high level of interactions with it maybe but um but yeah so let's dive in so okay so sam what is what is azure app service you kind of started the the conversation but yeah let's dive in a bit more okay yeah so let, let's I suppose let's let's start from from the beginning of um, web application hosting and how you may, you know, and some organizations still will host applications like this, but I'll say the more traditional way of, you know, hosting applications. Um, let's keep using the example of a very basic web application that needs a web server and a database server as an example, you know, your to-do list app, right? Um, so traditionally what you may do is you might... Um, bring up um, two servers of some sort you know maybe you'd co-locate a server maybe you'd use some sort of virtual server um, and you would um, install an operating system on that server then you install all of the tooling on top of it so say for your web server you'd actually have to install a web server so you might install um, IIS on Windows you might install and install nginx um apache there's various others as well um and you would effectively configure that um for your application you'd somehow package and upload your code to that box um and then you would have to do a similar process for your database server you know you would provision your database server and you would um, install some sort of database management system uh, on that box You'd network the two together somehow, um, and then you would uh, point the internet at that web server so that, you know, let's say you've got a public-facing app, um, your users can get access um, to that application. So, you know, that, that system, you have ultimate flexibility. Um, it's, it's probably the highest barrier to entry in terms of knowledge. And in some respects, startup resources, you know, um, capital expenditure, you know, if you've got to buy those machines, you know, sign into some sort of, you know, lease for your co-location or, you know, a minimum contract on a virtual private server. You know, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of challenges there or drawbacks that you've got to um, sort of deal with. And then, you know, if you if you own the hardware that it's running on maybe you even own the environment that it's in you know imagine if you you know ran it in your own data center inside your own office you know a lot of the times you would co-locate that out to a separate facility um but you could you could ha have the responsibility of you know the infrastructure the environment the operating systems the the software that's inside that stack in order to run that application and then the application yourself itself you know the actual thing that you've just um, built um, you might not also build your own applications. You might be using somebody else's application, maybe an, an open source application. Um, let's say you're running, you're, you're a university or a college and you're using Moodle as your virtual learning environment. Um, you'd still need to host that um, somehow. So that's how maybe more traditionally um, you would hope host, host an application. And people still do that. And ultimately, if you have the knowledge and the resources, there's there's there are some drawbacks um but for your use case that might be completely adequate for what you need um some other applications need to be 
you know, um, highly provisioned, high performance, high throughput, you know, really what I would call quotes public applications, you know, uh, think of your uh, B2C applications like your social social media networks, um, uh, things like that, where you have high throughput, high amounts of traffic, and you've got a lot of, you know, discrete users connecting to your system. You, you can you can start to have challenges with scalability, security, uh, resilience um, in those scenarios. So, uh, what is what are these newer cloud um, hosting options? So these platform as a service um, offerings. It's effectively where a, a hosting provider or a cloud provider uh, run everything from environment. Um, uh, boxes, machines, operating systems, even up to that web server and application management layer. Um, that is all managed away from you. Um, you, you can configure, um, uh, I'd say, a good portion of it, uh, but the underlying operating system is the responsibility of Microsoft. The underlying hardware is their responsibility as well. So you're effectively shifting a lot of your... Um, your your maintenance, overhead, and management um, to Microsoft. Um, and we'll talk about billing and how that you know because organisations aren't going to do that out of the goodness of their heart, are they? You know, there is a there's a commercial element there. Um, but what really happens in this you know in these scenarios now is you provide your code um, to them, and we're kind of really just talking about that web server, really. You know. Um, you provide your code to them, usually in a more modern way, and we'll talk about that. Um, and you provide the files to them, and they will, um, you know, uh, bring up an environment that you can host in, right? So, so you're not having to worry about any of that, you know, um, configuration uh, yourself. Um, it's a completely managed production environment, um, so it's automatically patched from OS, language frameworks, you name it, they're covering that. They're going to um, give you a DevOps. Uh, in the case of Azure um, App Service, it's going to give you a DevOps integration so you can continuously deploy um, uh, software uh, into that environment. So GitHub, um, GitHub and Azure DevOps are supported first party. I believe you can configure other ones. I haven't done it. So I believe you can set up manual hooks for things like um, GitLab and what's another one? Uh, I don't know what Atlas Atlassian source control is called. Anyway, but you can, I believe you can configure um, other Git providers, but don't quote me on, on that one completely. Uh, they're going to take your code. They're going to containerize it um, and they're effectively going to run it um, on your behalf. Um, what they're also going to give you the ability to do is to um, support multiple like languages and frameworks, um, you know, uh, without having to do that configuration. So I'll run through the current ones. Um, ASP.NET, ASP.NET Core, obviously two Microsoft focused ones. Uh, Java, Ruby, Node.js, PHP and Python. Um you can also run PowerShell and other scripts um, as background services in in-app service as well. So if you've got, a, let's say you've got a Node.js app as an example, um, they're gonna they've got pre-installed binaries there, so that frameworks there, so you can just you know in theory dump your code onto there, pick a version that you want to run it on, 
and away you go. Uh, that's you know, uh, and management of Node.js versions, you know, on your own web server is its own challenge in itself, right? So again, instead of having to configure that, manage it, patch it, and all of those things, you can effectively just pick from a drop-down list, and Microsoft's going to do that, do that for you, which is, you know, going to give you. It's just one less thing that you've got to uh, worry about. Once you drop your code onto that box, you've got to configure it. Um, so a lot of applications use use environment variables um, to configure their applications that are running on it. Things like connection strings or other variables that you want to pass into the application. Um, App Service has a way to, um, conf uh, I believe they're called configuration settings. Um, you know, you you've got an ability to set those in like a web UI um, effectively. You can also bind those configuration items to a key vault. So that if you have, say, sensitive information that you want to pass in, you don't have to, you know, just configure it in the portal that, you know, any other admin could see. You could uh, basically um, connect a key vault in and proxy the values into the container um, and have its own RBAC um, on top of that. Because, you know, the management of configuration is a challenge in itself, you know, um, setting that up, um, making sure it's up to date, um, you know, maybe restricting access to it on on the web servers is it, it is a challenge. It's 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 something that's been done for ages. It can be done, but again, they're just wrapping it into a really um, simple service for you. Um, App Service has the ability to scale up and also scale out. Um, so what that means is, and we'll talk a bit more in depth about scalability, but you can run multiple instances of your app service and scale it out like horizontally, maybe even across um, the data centers, um, availability zones, etc. but also scale up and scale down. So when we're talking about vertical scaling, we're talking about eventually adding more resources in to run your, uh, run your system. And it may be that you start off with a, a lower amount and you grow as your, you know, your traffic grows, or you might have spiky, um, you know, traffic, um, and that is hard to handle when you uh, manage your own infrastructure. So there's there's that out of the box. Um, um, app service is ISO, SOC and PCI compliant. Um, so from a security and compliance uh, perspective, um, there is uh, Microsoft have done a lot of that work um, for you. Um, you can do things like IP address restrictions um, and, and things like that to, to add extra layers of sort of restriction on top of that. Um, there is a way to also authenticate your users. So you can effectively um, hook in Entra ID, Google, Facebook, Twitter, or just a, a regular Microsoft account. And effectively you can um, outsource that authentication flow outside of your application's logic. What that's really powerful for is, is that instead of having to build that routing in and hooking back on those, you know, authentication flows, because you could do that even if you had something like B2C, um, app service is going to handle a lot of that, you know, taking somebody somewhere else to authenticate and then bring them back and essentially handing a token back to you is going to make that uh, a, a lot more simplistic. Um there's application templates. So there's a, a marketplace that you can go to and you can install templated applications. So if you're hosting, say, a WordPress site 
um, you can go in and do a one-click install um, of, of WordPress. That's going to be really powerful because, again, you don't even have to do that setup. You're just going to click one button, pick your scale size, and then you're going to be um, up and running. Uh, Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code are integrated. Um, so you've got sort of dedicated tooling where from an actual um, IDE on your machine, you're going to be able to publish um, these, these straight in. Um, there's also API and sort of mobile features. Um, so there's things like um, uh, cause supports, um, RESTful API um, scenarios. Um, there's also um, offline data sync push notifications. There's sockets. There's any modern application. Um, how shall I say it? Any modern application um design is pretty well supported you know if you're using more advanced maybe you're using real-time socket connections um to push and pull data from your clients that is also supported so it's very mature when it comes to running web web applications um i or i i've struggled to find an edge case that it it doesn't support basically um from that perspective um, I know I've just wa waffled on for, you know, 15 minutes or so. So, <laughs> Alan, any questions um, up to now? I mean, it sounds, I mean, it's, you know, it sounds like the dream. Well, it sounds like the dream, doesn't it, for hosting an application, to be fair, what you've just said in sort of your, your 15 minute sprint of it. Um, and like you said, it's it's just taken a lot of that pain away. You haven't got to pay, not pay, but you have to have somebody manage the patching of that, you know, the, the operating system that makes sure the hardware's okay and in support and all of that sort of stuff. And that's just all done for you by, by, you know, the host provider in this case, you know, Microsoft and Azure. Um, you don't got to worry about it. It just seems like a somewhat no brainer. I can kind of understand that there might be some requirements for, applications to only be on premise you know, or in a data center that you fully control due to you know maybe some some more strict regulatory compliances that you have to do or you know just strict you know the type of data you're managing maybe um i guess we could go down the um there's your stack route for that if we really wanted to but whichever episode we talked about that on <laughs> yeah but, um, exactly yeah yeah, um, I think I think for me, it's 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 again because it's platform as a service. You're you're effectively anything that is platform related. You're handing over responsibility to somebody else, right? And there will be scenarios where it doesn't work. Um, high throughput scenarios where you have a huge amount of processing that you have to do. Maybe you'll get a better better econo uh, better economies of scale. Um, because you may need, you know, bare metal um, access to machines to optimize your application or something like that. Or maybe you need, you know, some sort of special CPU instruction that you can't get here. Um, but what I would say is the va a vast majority of apps are just basic data management apps, right? You know, a lot of CRM systems are just pushing data in and out, transposing it. It's not like you're running, you know, huge amounts of processing through it um, all the time. So, you know, my thing is, is 
we see this a lot in the applications that we um, look to like support is you know how many how much resource you're actually consuming right you know can you scale back down and go for a a lower you know tier because if i said to somebody oh i want you to provision a server with two gigabytes of ram and you'd be like no i'm not going to provision a you know a bare metal box with two gig of ram because i've got to like host the operating system i've got to host my application and i've also got to you know, um, expect that there's going to be an element of scaling there over the years. So I've got to provision for that. Um, but here, what you're doing is you're just paying for what you use, not what the platform is consuming, right? It's just what your application is using. So, you know, you do have to reframe your thought, you know, from a more traditional uh, provisioning perspective. Well, you can, you can start fast, can't you? You haven't got to worry about like you said, you know, buying buying hardware, buying you know um, rack space in a data center, etc., or and and things like that, or or anything like yeah. that. It's just got a host. I need to put some code up and app service to to get your app service up and running. I mean, before you push your code to it, you know, it's like a few blades in Azure, and it depends how um sort of uh, bespoke you want to make that, how long that will take, but then you've effectively got a landing page with a um an azure provided domain name and you're sort of ready to go there you click on the link in the portal and you can see a holding page saying hey your app service is ready to go upload some code and get started so as soon as you've done that you know it takes a few minutes and you've got all of that platform ready to go you know like you say there's no procure no there's no long-winded procurement of hardware or you know it and i suppose that you can sort of argue that you've got to have a subscription and a billing you know method set up and all of that sort of stuff but yes but you know if you're an organization that's currently using anything in azure you've probably already got some sort of you know commercial agreement um in place yeah exactly um okay so okay so how do we well, I guess we kind of talked very briefly about this, but how do we deploy app service in Azure? Yeah, so there's a few different ways. Um, you know, you can connect um, a GitHub. Oh, sorry, Bitbucket is Atlassian's um, source con control provider. I completely forgot about that. Um, and um, uh, Azure DevOps repos as well. Um, you can also deploy, so, so you can effectively, whatever their CI, CD or pipelines uh, technology is, you can connect a repository um, in that in those environments. And as you build and pr push new versions in, they will automatically get deployed dependent on the configuration that you've made. Um, so if you're building software, that's a really you know good place, good place to be um there is the there is the uh there's there's the concept of deployment slots as well so as you deploy new versions you can test it on a certain number of users and divert users into their load balance and scale that way so there's there's a lot of flexibility there i don't want to go into the weeds too much but you know i've just got to make you aware that you know just because you push doesn't mean that all users get it automatically you can control how that's released um you can also um, deploy directly from your local machine so you can produce what's called like a zip deploy um, and you can effectively um, upload a zip file um, of your 
of your application. So you can package that usually in something like Visual Studio and um, then it would go um, up, up into app service. Um, apparently you can also do OneDrive and Dropbox folders. I have never seen that in action whatsoever, but as I was researching um, the the edges of my knowledge for this episode, I, I found that little nugget of information. I thought it was, that's definitely something that's on my list to, to give a try now uh, and to, to work out why that would be needed. But somebody obviously asked for it at some point. Um, so yeah, so um, there's a um, there's a there's a couple of different sort of deployment method uh, mechanisms. Um, there's a there's a there's effectively a um, there's a thing called Kudu, which is like um, like the helper productivity tool that helps you to um, it handles continuous deployments um, of of your of your applications, but it also gives you more insights on how they're running. So what you can do is you can click on Kudu in the the uh, the portal and it takes you to a different place which is its own separate self-contained sort of application management um area and that's where you can drill in and see what's actually running um in the environment you can look at the files that were deployed and you can delve deeper um basically um so yeah i've talked about deployment slots but you can effectively have you can have your sort of production slot you know a new version comes online um, you can have staging environments where you validate your newest changes and you promote between um, those deployment slots. Um, and that's basically as as you deploy like your dev to your staging, uh, to your main, to production, that's how you then sort of migrate up those slots and, and finally promotion to production. So you can use the same um, infrastructure if you want to, to host all of those different levels. Um, or if you want to, you could obviously separate them out into um, in, into different areas. You can also run um, uh, to containers themselves. So um, it's especially on Linux, um, it's going to containerize your app, or to, it's going to wrap your app inside of a Docker container, basically, to to, to have the segregation. Um, but you can also um, deploy containers containers that you've developed yourself um, into app service and run them. Um, so. If your um, build pipeline, the output of your build pipeline is an image, like a container image, um, then it can sort of use those deployment slots to deploy different versions of your image and then promote them through the, the slots. Um, there's a lot of really good getting started guides for things like uh, DevOps, uh, GitHub, sorry, um, Azure DevOps, GitHub Actions, um, and also... Um, there is also way to ways to connect them in, and there's some good documentation on how to use other automation providers, maybe using Travis CI or something like that um, as a separate one. Um, it's probably worth noting is that there's certain areas inside of App Service where th there is actually persistent data and sort of um, local cache and temporary um, data as well. So one of the big things is when you're using platform as a service people try to work out where they write files to um so there there is a um a persistent storage mechanism inside of app service um but more traditionally we would back a lot of that storage off to either the database layer or integrate something like a storage account um for that as well cool okay 
okay, so there's definitely loads of ways to you know do the deployment side of things. Um, is there something around app service plans as well? Yes. Yeah, so is that what um, it sits on? Yeah, you effectively have an app service plan, um, which is it, it's kind of represents your web server. Um, really, that's where your SKU is based. And on an app service plan, you can have multiple apps. It depends what app service plan you have. Um, but what app service plan starts to get us to think about is sort of app service environments as well, um, where you can you can effectively um, build an app service environment that is completely isolated. Um, um, you can isolate your application um, from um from from effectively everybody else inside of azure it's like another um only certain SKUs are, are supported there um what this is mainly good for is is if you if you do have some sort of compliance need where you do need to you know officially be inside a completely isolated environment maybe you want to dedicate your own resources to it as well so it could be a performance um thing with that um but also then you can connect an app service um environment to your vnet and have like potentially a, a purely isolated and disconnected um, application from you know uh, public consumption as well so it's probably worth calling out now is that um is it apps um app service apps do not need to be serviced to the internet um you can you know the default out of the box experience is going to be that but you can privately connect them to a vnet and block all um, internet traffic as well and isolate them um, should you wish okay cool um okay so we I, we were going to talk about this we talked about talking about this earlier um <laughs> <laughs> too many words there um how you know how is scaling handled in app service yeah, so um, yeah, I, I I suppose I briefly mentioned it: vertical and horizontal scaling. You know, um, it's going to give you that load balancer that you're going to need in front of it. So if you say that you want six instances of your application, then it's going to give you six instances of your application. There's some limits to how much scaling you can and can't do at different SKU levels. I won't really go into it, um, but when you're getting into what I call the standard and above, more productiony, enterprisey um, levels. Um, there's there's very high limits, so you shouldn't really ever um, bump into that. There is also auto-scaling as well. So you can um, scale your instances um, based on a metric within your um, application. So you might say, once my memory or CPU hits, let's call it 90% as a random example, then please add another, um, please add another instance. Um, I'm not sure the actual name they call them. I think they could just call them um, another app service. I think it's just an instance. I don't think it's a node. I think they call it an instance. Um, but you effectively add, you can add one more. And then when that demand reduces, you can scale back um, if you if you want to. It's a, there's a bit of a word of caution there. Your application has to be um, sort of a multi-node instance compatible. Uh, you need to think about um shared caches and memory when you're building applications so a, a lot of um, a lot of applications aren't really a lot of newer applications are but traditionally a lot of applications were never built 
designed to be on more than one host at one time. So that's something to think about. And also that scaling can take time to happen. So if you are running what I call like a spiky application, you've got a retail application that, you know, an e-commerce platform that is going to get absolutely hammered over Black Friday. Um, it's probably worth pre-provisioning that. And, you know, and what I've worked on before in the past is, you know, when a big event's coming up, they'll manually scale it the day before to 10 times the capacity. And then the day after the event's done, they'll scale it back down, right? Yes, they paid 10 times the cost for two days or whatever number it was, but they've got none of the drag cost of, you know, um, pre-provisioning hardware or anything. So there's ultimate flexibility with these pay-as-you-go plans because if you do have that up and down, you know, um, traffic, then you've got real benefit there. That's that's great, isn't it? Really, because like you said, it's you're only paying for what what you're using, what you've you've built in effect or um, sized. So, like you said, Black Friday, ten times the amount of hosts for a bit, for a couple of days, or for a week. I don't know how long Black Friday lasts for now. Um, <laughs> it's like a it's like, a it's week like six so. weeks at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. So yeah, it's definitely a load of options there isn't it i think the audit scan is quite good and things like that it's just i guess it's just getting like you said there's a bit of a delay or yeah a delay of it being you know spun up as such so you need to be you just need to make sure your um your metrics sort of right to give you enough time in case it maxes i guess yeah um, to to provision a new instance to put the code on there to get it healthy so that the load balancer accepts it you know you might, especially if you've got big instances, that might take a few minutes to happen. I don't think it's really unreasonable, you know, <laughs> to expect all of those, that all that magic to happen in that amount of time. So, yeah, um, it's definitely worth uh, thinking about that. But at least you have the ability to do it. That's the most important thing. OK, so on to the, sort of the next bit. So how do we how do we monitor the app service or, or you know, in effect, manage it on top of it? Okay, so um, you effectively got diagnostic settings uh, via your monitor. So very similar to any other um, sort of Azure verse, uh, first service. Um, and then what you do with those um, logs and metrics is completely up to you. Um, one sort of um, scenario that I use, I use application insights a lot because application insights can, um, you can embed it. Well, actually, if you've got a .NET application, you can just toggle one, I believe it's like one checkbox and application insights will like be injected inside of your application. So you don't even have to do any configuration of it. And then what you're going to get is you're going to get application metrics and also um, sort of platform level metrics being fed into the same place at the same time. So you can start to see the correlation of, um, because when you're when you're diagnosing an application level issue, you need to see try and correlate the infrastructure and platform issues that are caused by code issues. Like let's say you have a let's say you have a like a database query that um, is fine at the database layer, like you're pulling a huge amount of data back. But then let's say in the web service, you're then mutating that data or maybe processing it on the fly and maybe it takes 
a half a second to come back from the database. But then the web server gets absolutely hammered for like three minutes, right? And everything starts timing out. Being able to look through that full chain and see as much, in, you know, sort of enriched information as you can whilst you're debugging, especially in production, because you usually get a lot less information, um, is also uh, really beneficial there. Um, you obviously get, uh, you can have quotas, you can have um, metrics like you can with any other um, Azure service. You get activity logs. So when you're changing your resources, you get to see them there. Uh, log stream is really powerful as well. There's a there's an option in the left-hand menu. You click log stream and it will stream the standard out logs from your, um, your application in real time. So what you can do is if you ever want to, what I like to do in my development environments is to make that logging to standard out really sort of verbose so you can see a lot of information. The only thing you have to be careful of that of is, is that it can log to disk and it can fill up your disk space. So you've just got to be a bit careful with that, especially if you set informational to, to sort of everything. So that handled with care. Um, but you can, you know, if you've got your own sort of custom metrics that you want to put out, um, then you can see it there. So there's loads of different ways to to monitor it um, and it's all sort of um, fully integrated uh, really i'd say okay great um so net networking we kind of talked about it we said that we can i think you said we can hook it up to to a, a vnet um is there anything you know out of the box i think you said it, it's pretty much you know on the public internet ready to be used but is there anything else you need to configure for it um so yeah so virtual network integration um, is there there is basic you know inbound and outbound ip there's basically a you know like you would with a virtual machine you have the ability to set, you know set up very basic ip restrictions and firewall there um you can um you can integrate it with azure firewall um so you can very easily integrate the two and, and give you a bit more uh, well, a lot more um uh, power there um Application gateway, NAT gateway, traffic manager. Uh, you, you you say any name of any sort of networking or control related tool inside of Azure, um, you've potentially got an integration there um, as well. Um, the the big thing with networking for me is that, um, like terminating. So so if you've got a private application, it's giving you that virtual network access right and you've got different ways to communicate um, with that virtual network right um but but what i think is really powerful around these things is because they're by default they're publicly you know your your machine is just publicly accessible to the internet right and there are so many things going on there that you just don't have to worry about right you've got a load balancer to scale between your instances. You've got all of the networking stack in front of it, like that you just don't even have to worry about. Um, you can also put like a CDN in front of it, um, a cache, if you will, in, in front of it. There's many different tools and many different ways that you could um, do that. So uh, effectively, if you've got either public or private networking uh, scenarios, um, there's there's a lot of feature-rich benefit there uh, with app service. So public or private, um, there's probably a solution there for you from a networking side. 
I mean, that's 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 amazing, really, isn't it? About the amount of capability they had to put in front of it. Um, it kind of feels like there's a lot of Azure services that can just integrate, you know, almost ways well, that is first party integrations, but there it's actually designed for all of it, kind of thing. You know, because there are some services that you know don't really interact with each other because there's no there's no need for it, kind of thing. But the app service definitely feels like it's there to grab what it can from you know other Azure services to help protect it, secure it, you know, make it functional, etc. Um, so that probably ties me on to the, sort of the next question around security. You know, we're always concerned about you know the application security, you know, its front door. Um, as well as the hosting kind of thing. So, you know, how is that handled? Yeah, so I suppose there's a, there's a few different layers to security, isn't there, right? You know, it's it, it's quite overarching. So let's just, let's just talk about some of the key sort of areas, really. Okay, so staying up to date is obviously a really important element of it, you know, um, threat vulnerability management, you know, uh, really. Um, making sure you're on the latest supported platforms, programming languages, protocols, and frameworks, right? Microsoft is going to continually move you along um, in terms of uh, doing that. It's probably worth a probably worth some caution there because if you are going to sort of laggard behind and not update, you may bump into issues with them retiring app service versions. You know, so for instance, if you're on an older version of PHP, then you have to move your application or rebuild it somehow. They might not still support that version when you come to rebuild at that point, right? So you do have to have that mentality that you're going to move forward. But that's any sort of general security recommendation. That's what we're going to make is that you're you're staying on current LTS or you know, uh, you know, uh, versions. Um. Identity and access management. Um, so you can disable anonymous access um, if you wish. You can layer that on. You can force authentication um, with with the tooling that we've um, had. That you can also protect um, sort of um, backend uh, resources with authenticated access into into um, sort of uh, backend systems. Um, and client certificates are also um, uh, supported as well if that's an access strategy that you that you employ um, data protection so um, forced redirection from HTTP to HTTPS so you can you can get it to rewrite um, all your URLs and enforce it um, when you're connecting into other um, Azure resources you can force encryption of those connections so that your full you know end-to-end -end from client to database you can have full encryption um, all the all the way through. Um, so there's so we've we, we've spoken about this. I spoke about this previously, but um, you know, um, you, taking sensitive information out your code configuration files. So this is where we're talking about proxying secrets um, into your configuration and into your application from Key Vault. Uh, so key and uh, secret management um, is just you know, it's first party um, there, they're ready to go. Um, there's there's validation of um, there's validation of the files that you're uploading uh, to make sure 
um, certain deployment artifacts aren't deployed onto the production web server that can help an attacker um, to understand more about um, your application. So they're also thinking about um, uh, that as well. Um, networking. Um, so we, we've got um, um, we've got um, limit of exposure to inbound network traffic. Um, you can decide how you want to connect into those on-premise resources, hybrid connections, virtual networks, app service environments. There's a lot of uh, functionality and features there uh, for that. Um, isolated, we talked about that, but again, you're gonna you can have a fully isolated um, environment and dedicated app service environment if that's what you want to to put into there. Um, and yeah, monitoring. Um, so it's it's integrated with Defender for Cloud as well. So not just from a cloud security posture management perspective, but also potential threats that are coming through, um, uh, and uh, you know, and, and actually looking and mapping a sort of multi-stage threats in Defender for Cloud. So highly integrated, and a lot of these um, sort of uh, security uh, themes pillars um, are covered uh, with a lot of the tooling that's there. Cool. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna shout out about the Defender Cloud integration, um, but you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So you know, device, you know, um, application is secured. Um, how is you know how is disaster recovery you know managed or set up? You know, if you know a region, uh, forbid goes down. Yeah. So we can, um, we can effectively have, um. We can, if we want to, have a multi-region application. Um, what that would normally be set up in the way of is that you'd have something like an active and a standby region, and then you do something like front door. So um, I think it's called Azure Front Door. I think that's its full name. Yeah, it is Azure Front Door um, in front of it. And Azure Front Door is like a... It's like an access broker with like a... CDN and caching, and it's got a firewall in it. Uh, did we do an episode on front door? Uh, Might have done. Can't remember, but I think it's kind of a combination, isn't it, of the um, uh, like the um, Azure Traffic Manager and correct something yeah. else, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's it. It's it's effectively um, a, a broker oh, and access plat. You know, front door. It literally is a front door for um, putting in front of app service well web applications really it's not really a true cdn so to speak but it has got cdn like and routing and firewall capabilities um but what you do is you put front door in front of two regions and then you'd you'd effectively look for the health of those two regions um and then within those regions you could have multiple app services which are load balanced as well across availability zones so you could get a lot of you know really high so that's from a high availability perspective. Um, in terms of um, sort of disaster recovery, um, there is built-in um, backup and restore capabilities of um, app service instances as well. I don't believe you get them on the lower tiers, um, but there are strategies and ways to, um, you know, if you were to rebuild, you know, um, directly from a uh, full disaster, there's a few different ways you could approach that because you could 
you could do that from your git your git provider and your um your pipelines there's there's multiple different ways to approach that but there is there is tooling and support built in for high availability and also um disaster recovery yeah okay i i guess in some ways well without using that tooling you could you if you've got terraform things like that it'd be quite easy to spin the new service up somewhere if you you know if you didn't have the that other capability in straight away kind of thing yeah and um you know um multi-region with front door in front of it is going to protect you against like portal downtime and things like that you know so that's really the your high availability strategy for me is really your primary defense mechanism and then disaster recovery is well literally as it says you know if you know everything goes you know everything goes to but then if everything well i don't know so do you, do you see what i mean so um you've got to have both sides of that strategy but yeah there is tooling there um for you cool okay so it sounds like this does quite a lot of things um I guess the 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 question is how much does it cost? How is it licensed or how is it consumed? I heard you like free stuff, Alan. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give you the the good news first. Well, actually, no. I think it's pretty good news across the board. So let's talk about the free plan to start off with. So you can have up to ten um, web, mobile, or API apps um, in in the free tier. Um, you get one gigabytes worth of storage. And I believe you get one gigabyte of RAM. There's no SLA provided for the uh, free tier, um, but you get one gig of RAM, one gig of storage, shared CPU cores, but you only get 60, the total of 60 CPU minutes a day. Do not ask me how that is calculated, uh, but effectively you get a, a, a quota with that. Um, uh, applications in the free tier, I think are scaled down um after i think 20 minutes something like that i think you can force them to stay um live on that so that's really good for validating that your application can be deployed there because free is free um as we say you're just not going to get a huge amount of um benefits there um once we um bump up to basic so basic is designed really for sort of lower traffic requirements you can have an unlimited amount of apps inside basic you get 10 gigabytes of disk space you can have up to three maximum instances oh i got the name right instances there we go <laughs> i'm reading the table from pricing because i can't i can't remember this off the top of my head um you're allowed a custom domain at that point we haven't spoken about domains actually but you can have your bind your own custom domains um in there as well no ability to auto scale but you can do hybrid connectivity and virtual network connectivity on basic um, you can do private endpoints as well on basic the compute is dedicated you can either buy one two or four cores and then either 1.75 gigabytes three and a half gig or seven gigabytes of ram the cheapest the single single core with 1.75 gig of ram is 13 dollars a month so for 13 dollars a month you get vnet support you know you know, poor old logic apps, you know, like that's what, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, so you get $13 a month. I think it's because you're basically paying for V cores, right? You've got an actual, you know, um, instance there. Yeah. Um, and then it basically just doubles. So two cores is 
uh, $25 a month, three and a half gig of RAM, four cores, seven gig, $51 a month. So again, pretty, you know, um, you know, pretty, pretty simple there, uh, basically. Um, if you go Linux, uh, these are all, let me just double check. Oh, these are all Linux prices, actually. Um, I'll... Okay. It's, it changes a little bit. On this. Okay, I won't go through all the sayings, right? What I'll do is there's free and basic that we just talked about. Standard gets you more instances that you can scale up to. You get more disk space, 50 gigabytes of disk space, um, and bigger sort of, um, you know, um, instance sizes. So uh, they're, they're, they're slightly different, effectively, they're slightly different CPU um, and but again they scale up but they start at $73 a month on um on on Linux um premium again um unlimited apps up to maximum of 30 instances 250 gig of disk space everything else is exactly the same starts at $82 a month and then isolated you get up to 1 terabyte of disk space up to a hundred maximum instances, um, but the compute type is fully isolated at that point. But you're starting at like two hundred dollars a month for a single V core for in the isolated environment. Um, it's probably worth noting that on Linux, when you go premium, um, you can start to do reserved instances as well. So I'll give you an example for a, a Linux pay-as-you-go is eighty-two dollars a month. If you reserve it for three years, it's thirty-seven dollars a month at that point. So you can get some really wow. good saving because everything is um, V-Core based, basically. Um, let me just try and talk to you about... Okay, so the only real difference with Windows versus Linux is there's an extra SKU, which is called uh, Shared. So you've got free to start off with, and then you've got Shared. Um, do we have Shared before? Let me just double check. No. No, it goes... On, on Linux, it goes free, basic, standard right and on windows it goes free shared basic standard so there's this extra one called shared and it's only nine dollars a month um but you essentially get more cpu minutes you go from 60 cpu minutes to 240 cpu minutes so you can basically have your app up for longer um and it's only nine dollars 49 a month basically at that point uh but the rest of the tiers are effectively the same uh they're just they just cost more basic. Yeah, so the starting price of basic on Linux is $13 a month, and the starting price of basic on Windows is $68 a month. So um, so you can have um, Windows-based um, applications as well. So there's lots of different options there. Sorry, I started to go through them all. I shouldn't have done that. But um, you can see that there's a lot of flexibility there um, for you. Cool, yeah. So it doesn't sound too expensive to start off with, at least, like you said, even with the free to even if you paid for some of the basic ones. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's breaking the bank, really, to get started, at least. And then then you move up to your premium tiers when you need when you need to, et cetera, for production. Yeah, and I, um, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think the SLAs just start at that basic tier, I believe. Might be basic or standard, I'm not sure. Um and then they're all pretty similar there. So, you know, if you are running an actual like application, um, 
you can get away with basic to be honest with you you know um because it, it's got a lot of that advanced functionality that you might need like you know vnet support and, and things and, and bits and bobs like that so it's pretty flexible um i'd say cool okay so um do you think there's anything else we've missed or any previous episodes you want to talk about um dev test pricing is available um that is a that is available uh you can purchase custom domain through it as well um ssl certificates um it can provision ssl certificates and if you want to to buy your own you can buy them through um azure as well um that's pretty much it um really from my perspective lot to unpick there because just application you know hosting in itself is is pretty involved um so if you are if you are looking to host an application in azure definitely check out app service because it can save you a lot of time um that's for sure um nothing else more from me um previous episode to call out is probably function apps i would have thought season four this cut this season episode i can't remember what it is is it episode three? two three episode three um so yeah function apps is probably it's a it's a it's a a slightly different type of application but the way that it's hosted is is very similar to app service um i'd say oh cool it's only 18 episodes ago seems insane (laughs) i think it's 18 so okay badger for that if i'm still right um cool yeah cool okay so yeah um what, what's what's next week al yeah so next week uh we're going to talk about because i don't think we've done it since our very first season when we were new to this um <laughs> so uh i think it's worth going through any of the new any of the new changes to the microsoft certifications and the accreditations because there's been some new releases recently about a new type of um accreditation there so i think it's worth just going through that going through some some plans and that especially around you know I'll, I'll probably focus on the security um certifications things like that because it's my area um but we're we're generalized as well about you know generally about all of it so so yeah i think that'd be good to um just have a, a top up on that i don't think we've, like i said done it since season one so definitely some time ago cool um, all right that's great thanks huh yeah. Okay. So, did you enjoy this episode? If so, please do consider leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. This really helps us reach out to more people like you. Uh, if you have any specific feedback or suggestions, we we have a link in our show notes to get in contact with us. Yeah. And if you've made it this far, uh, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll catch you up on the next one. Yeah. Thanks all.